42. Verse 17, Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council of the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and for forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, uh, joined him. He was killed, and all who were following him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him was Judas, the Galilean, who rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for their name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In December of 2022, the songwriter Bob Dylan sold the rights to the catalog of his songs for 300 million US dollars, which works out to a mere 225 million pounds. Some have pointed out that that's one large paycheck for an anti-establishment 
grassroots folk singer-songwriter, but I can't quite deny the fact that I am a Bob Dylan fan. I'm always struck by the opening words to the title song from his album, The Times They Are A-Changing, when he sings, Come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving and you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. And in the providence of God, I read this past week that if you are swimming in the ocean and an enormous wave starts to come your way, the best chance you have of not being thrown back to the shore is by swimming into the wave. Well, in the book of Acts, the times, they were a-changing. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ was flooding Jerusalem. Jesus himself had been a man despised and rejected, familiar with griefs and acquainted with sorrows, preferring time alone with his father over and above the crowds. But having been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, Christianity had gone from just a few drops to drenching all of Jerusalem with a wave of gospel blessing. And even after persecution from the outside or attack from inside the church, the blessing only increased because all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so the wise thing to do was swim into the gospel wave, not away from the gospel wave. You remember back in Acts chapter 3, the lame man had been healed of that crippling disease and the the religious establishment had lost their minds because he'd been healed in Jesus' name. And so they arrested Peter and John, put them in prison. But when they'd been released and returned to the church, they prayed and we read the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then a bit later, Ananias and Sapphira were struck down dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. And you would think that that would be the end. Who would ever want to come back to a church where that happens? Imagine if that happened today and you're visiting with us. And I came up to you at the end and said, yeah, that happens sometimes here. I wonder if we would see you next week. But immediately following that, we read this last Sunday morning. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And as the religious establishment were being confronted with the fact that the times they were a-changing, opposition stepped it up a gear, as we heard in our reading. But the point of our passage today is, opposition toward God 
is opposition. Let me start again. Opposition toward God's apostles is opposition toward God. So when it comes to this apostolic gospel that Christ Jesus died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, friends, neutrality is a myth. Either we are swimming into the gospel wave or we're swimming away from it and sinking like a stone. And so friends, I want to ask you today before we open up our passage, where are you in relation to this great gospel wave of blessing? Are you swimming into the heart of it or are you swimming away from it? Who do you say this Jesus is? My hope and prayer to you is that God would speak to you today and convince you to swim right into this gospel and not away from it. So friends, opposition towards God's apostles is opposition towards God. And we're going to see that today. Number one, as we think about their divine deliverance. Number two, their divine obedience. And number three, their divine influence. Number one, their divine deliverance. Look back with me at verse 17. I know Andy just read it, but let's read it again. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And so if there were any doubt that opposition toward God's apostles is opposition to God, this divine deliverance settles the matter once and for all. Think for a moment with me as to what the apostles were up against in this moment. There was the high priest. The high priest was responsible for the Jerusalem temple that was this massive edifice, even by today's standards, and was the very center of religious life for the Jews. And then there were the Sadducees. They were these wealthy priests, aristocrats, whom Rome looked to to keep the Jews in line. And then there was the whole council that were numbered around 70 people. And then there was the guards keeping watch over a public prison that, by the way, was locked. But there was something even more powerful than those things as well. What was it? It was their jealousy. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? So that while the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, the religious establishment were filled with jealousy. Why? Because the times, they were a-changing. 
And all of Jerusalem was now looking to them, no longer looking to the religious establishment. And so since new wine can't be stored in old wineskins, the old wineskins were having to be replaced. And so they sought to stop the unstoppable and oppose the ones whom God had sent. And yet, an angel of the Lord overcame it all in a single moment. Here's the point. God will make a way, even when there is no way, for the gospel to change lives. Why? Because it is his gospel. His message, his messengers. God will do whatever he needs to do to ensure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is set loose and spreads like wildfire in the world. And no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever do anything about it, even if it wants to. And you would say, yeah, but you were not apostles. But I would say, friends, we are heirs of the apostles because ours is the apostolic gospel. The baton has been handed and passed down to us. So that if people oppose us for the preaching of the gospel, the reality is they are opposing God himself. God will make a way when there is no way for our gospel to be preached because it is his message. On their website, Open Doors introduced their founder, Brother Andrew, by saying, referring to him as the founder could lead people to picture him as a suit-wearing executive who delivers presentations in a boardroom. That image, however, they write, couldn't be further from the truth. In actuality, Brother Andrew is our chief adventurer and league risk-taker. He's best known, in fact, for courageously putting his life on the line to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain at the height of the Cold War. One of the most beloved Brother Andrew's stories recounts a risky incident from early in his ministry. On this occasion, Brother Andrew approached the Romanian border in his car, which was packed with illegal Bibles. He could only hope the border guards were moving swiftly and not paying much attention, which might allow him to pass through undetected. But just as he was hoping this, Brother Andrew saw that the guards, Brother Andrew saw the guards stop the car at the front of the line. He watched in anticipation as the vehicle's owners were forced to take out all of the car's contents and spread them on the ground for inspection. Each car that followed received the same treatment, with the fourth car's inspection lasting the longest. The guard took a full hour to sift through it including removing hubcaps, taking the engine apart, and even removing the seats. Dear Lord, Brother Andrew remembers praying, what am I going to do? As he prayed, a bold idea came to Brother Andrew. I know that no amount of cleverness on my part can get me through this border search. Dare I ask for a miracle? Let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them in the open where they will be seen. Putting the Bibles out in the open would mean truly depending on God rather than his own intelligence, he thought. So when the guards ushered Andrew forward, he did just this. I handed him my papers and started to get out, but his knee was against the door, holding it closed. And then the almost unbelievable happened. The guard looked at Brother Andrew's passport and abruptly waved him on. Surely, 30 seconds had not passed, he remembers. 
Brother Andrew started the engine and began pulling away, all the while wondering if he was supposed to pull over the car, uh, to pull over so the car could be taken apart and examined. I coasted forward, my foot poised above the brake. Nothing happened. I looked out the rear mirror. The guard was waving the next car to a stop, indicating to the driver that he had to get out. God had cleared the way for Brother Andrew to smuggle the Bible to Christians who had no access to God's word. But friends, even when there are imprisonments, and even when there are immense setbacks for gospel ministers, in reality, they are only tactical defeats for greater victories to occur. Wasn't this exactly what Paul said in Philippians 1? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see that, friends, whether by miraculous deliverance or whether by tactical setbacks, God will make a way when there is no way for his gospel to get out. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. What then should we do? Well, friends, here's a better way. Here's a better question to ask. What then should we be? Bold and courageous. Bold and courageous. Don't worry about looking stupid for Jesus. Don't worry about feeling alone in your witness for Jesus. Don't worry about others looking down on you. Don't worry about those excluding you. Don't worry about eloquence or your lack of eloquence. Don't worry about your answers or your half-perfect answers. Why? Because God is able to make a way even when there is no way for his word and his gospel to get out. But friends, here's the thing. You still have to walk through the prison doors. God will open prison doors for us to walk through them and for our mouths to be open as we speak the word of this life. What is the point of an open prison door and a closed mouth at the same time? Opposition towards God's apostles is opposition toward God. We've seen that as we've looked at number one, their divine deliverance, but then next, their divine obedience. Look at verse 26. It says, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To obey, to oppose the ones who are obeying God is by extension to oppose God himself. 
and obey, the, and obey God, the apostles did. Why? Because they saw a higher throne. They saw a greater leader. They saw a greater savior whom God had vindicated for the world to see. And so they could say, you killed him, but God raised him. And we are witnesses of all of these things. How could we obey you when God has done this? And notice the difference, friends, between their obedience and the actions of the religious establishment in this moment. Verse 26, the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force because they didn't want to be stoned by the people. What does that mean? It means their lives were their highest priority. Like they could say, oh, we're just about fidelity to the Torah. We're just about faithfulness to Yahweh. We're just about faithfulness to God's word, but not to the point of death. Not so with the apostles. A few years ago now, I was speaking with my manager in the company that I worked for in the U.S. And he said, Hewitt, I've, a friend of mine said that he worked in the U.K. for a number of years. And he said the sports culture in the U.K. is something else. It's, it's next level. And I remember being so confused by that because I thought to myself, well, Americans don't do anything by halves. So surely the sports culture here in the U.S. is just like it is here in, in the U.K., but then I remembered all of the Facebook pictures of our friends who had left the state that we were in for another state. And there were pictures of them on Facebook online of them cheering for their new local team. So it seems like your local team is your team. Well, not here in the UK. If you're a Liverpool fan, you are a Liverpool fan for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter, wow, we're getting the most amount of response now. Okay, okay, we could say amen in other points of the service. But even if you have to move for work, and you have to move next door to Old Trafford, you're a Liverpool fan. Even if you move and you move next door to Everton Stadium, which I don't know the name of and couldn't be bothered Googling, you will be forever a red. And that was true last night, and that was true a year ago. And that was the apostles, whether at a prayer meeting with the church or whether in an interrogation room with whipping rods laid out on a table, you obeyed God rather than men because you were a Christian. Thank you, Jan. Where did, the, where did that come from? It came by being more gripped by what God had done through Jesus than by what could be done to them. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, can I say, this is the key to the Christian life. This is where boldness really comes from. It, it doesn't come through working yourself up into some kind of frenzy. It comes by being more gripped by what God has done in Jesus than it does in what could be done to you. 
And the more amazed you are at what God has done in Jesus Christ, the less you will fear what can be done to you. Because that is the defining reality in your life. Can I repeat the most practical advice for making this a reality in your life? Be in the Gospels every day. Be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every day. And before you read, ask God to give you eyes to see the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. Until you can say with the psalmist, the Lord is on my side, what can man do to me? Well, third, we see their divine influence. Look at verse 33. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thordis rose up claiming to be somebody and a, a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. And let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Friends, if we follow Gamaliel's logic, then there can only be one conclusion. Jesus died just as Thordis died. And Jesus' 12 followers were scattered just as Thordis's 400 followers were scattered. Jesus died just as Judas died. And yet, 43 days after Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus had 3,000 followers. And then a few days, a few weeks after that, 5,000 male followers, so maybe upwards of 20,000, including women and children. And from there, from the first century, Christianity has snowballed and it has grown. Why? Because Jesus was and is who he said he was and is. He died just as he said he would. And he rose just as he said he would. And every effort to stamp out the gospel over the last 2,000 years has ended up falling flat on its face. The high priest and the religious establishment here in Acts chapter 5, where are they today? They are under the feet of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 25 came true before this generation passes away, Jerusalem will be no more. And then there was Rome that would throw Christians to wild animals to be torn to pieces by beasts in the Colosseum. And where is Rome today? It is under the feet of Jesus Christ. And then there were the communists of the Cold War 
that brother Andrew in his little car took down. Why? Because Jesus Christ put it all underneath his feet. And today it is China. And today Christianity is exploding in China as never before. And today it's Iran. And Christianity today is exploding in Iran. Since that, so that 10 years ago, I had the privilege of baptizing 19 Iranians on one day. And think about the countless heresies that have arisen from within the church over the last 2,000 years. Gnosticism and Manichaeism and Donatism and Docetism. The reason hardly any of you have even ever heard of those heresies is because today they are all under the feet of Jesus Christ Although at one time, they threatened to do great damage to the fidelity of the gospel. But even though Gamaliel's advice was good advice, it wasn't actually great advice. Sometimes when I'm driving through Morton and I see that Mormon church that is now a nursery, I do a little dance. But, but in my heart, because I'm a Calvinist, of course, or sometimes when I'm visiting Dave or Peter where they live and I walk past that Jehovah's Witnesses hall that's now closed down, I do another little jig in my heart and I praise the Lord. But there are no doubt towns where evangelical churches are dying and kingdom halls are growing. Why? Well, because Gamaliel's advice was just okay. It was good. It wasn't great. A way to test the validity of Christianity is to look at how Christians have rejoiced in suffering. The apostles here rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for the name. Could that really be so for a lie? They'd probably received the 40 lashes minus one so that the skin all over their body would have been opened up and blood would have been dripping off their bodies. How much of a weirdo would you have to be to rejoice in a moment like that? And the history books tell us that when the apostle Peter came to be martyred for Christ, they came to crucify him. And Peter said, I am not worthy to die in the same way As my Lord, crucify me therefore upside down. And they crucified him upside down. Even the most hardened skeptic among you knows that people lie to gain. They don't lie to lose. Especially something as costly as their lives. Friends, Jesus Christ is worth suffering for because he's true. Because he was true. And because he's true right now. And because he will always be true, truly the son of God, truly the bread of life, truly the light of the world, truly the gate of the sheep and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. So that today, if you will believe on him, although the world may turn its back on you, God's face will shine upon you. Swim then into the Wave of gospel blessing, lest you sink like a stone under its weight. To oppose the apostolic gospel is to oppose God himself. May that not be you here today. But instead, swim with us all the way to glory until we see Jesus face to face. Amen.